it's about keeping it real. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I don't like psychology to to be too complex. I don't like using really fancy words. At the end of the day, it's about keeping it real and what it is to be human and yeah. how can we get what we really want out of life. And as a parent, I had children for the pure joy of the connection mm. and to watch them grow and, boy, did they trigger us. And whenever they trigger us, there's an opportunity for us to heal something that we wouldn't ordinarily know. Hi, I'm Mim Burrows and you're listening to You're So Vain. You probably think this podcast is about you. And I'm joined by my partner in crime, Jessie Roberts. Welcome to part two of How to Parent Your Kids and Not Bring Up Little Assholes. And we're joined by the ever so insightful Lou Johnson, psychologist and founder of Full Thought Psychology. Maybe your children might be teaching you that actually they don't need all that. No, they, and that, I'm trying to teach my kids they don't need all that, but they're so like, I want to do this dance class and this and this and this. And I'm like, babe, I think we need to pull back a bit. And they're just like, no, nah, they want to do it all. But I am seeing such a change of their, they're so tired. They can't self-regulate their emotions because they're tired. You know, they're not being Correct. eating well because they're doing so much physical activity and then they're too tired to eat. It's just this, it's constantly just going round and round and round. And the same thing with like the anxiety stuff. It's like my kids are saying, mum, mm. I've got anxiety. And I almost kind of say to my husband, like, I don't want to use that word. It's, it's almost like a swear word in my family. I don't mm. want them to think that they've got anxiety. So I really do change the dialogue. And the, and the vocab and just kind of say, no, it's a ner- you're just feeling nervous. You're feeling nervous because you're about to do this. Anxiety is mm. like panic and, you know, you're feeling sick. It's you're a label on a, yeah, it's, it's a serious label. Mm. It is a serious label. Using your situation, you know, what's our job? And I, and I actually had a very similar conversation with my 13-year-old and I said, I know you love dance and I know you love this and the school's offered you this and offered you that and how amazing that you've got a lead role in this and that and, you know, you love all of it. it it's your soul food. Mm. But my job is to help you not always get what you want. It's actually to teach you what you need and how to put boundaries in your life because at the end of the day you can do all the things that you love but if you do too much of it you're going to burn out. And what you've described, Jess, is burnt out. And if it was an adult, I'd say, oh, you're burnt out. The anxiety is the fear, yeah, Mm. is the fight-flight response. There's danger. And there is danger because if we're that overscheduled that we're not eating properly and we've got the hangries and also that maybe our nervous system is heightened because we're so on the go all the time, isn't it beautiful that the body is actually putting in an alarm bell, say, we're out of balance. You need to stop and rethink what you're doing because if you proceed, there might be physical or emotional danger. So the physical danger is burnout Mm. and hormonal shifts and imbalance. And the emotional is that I'm tired and I'm teary and I'm not getting joy. I'm starting to actually feel unhappy, even though I'm doing all of these things that are supposed to make me happy. Yeah. And so I had a conversation and I said, you know what? My job is to help you learn how to put in balance. So at the end of the day, these were my parameters and we looked at what wiggle room, you know, this is a burnout recipe, what's a healthy recipe, where's the wiggle room? 
for things to cool down so she wasn't back-to-back scheduled and what Mm. actually needs to go because even though she loves it, it's going to burn you out. Yeah, like my kids say, homework. Homework needs to go, (laughs) Mum. Well, I think we'd love love, um, Australia to take on the (laughs) Nordic or sort of the more Swedish or Nordic country ways. I don't believe in homework. I'm not a big fan of it. (laughs) I shouldn't say that too out loud in in these wonderful schools. (laughs) No, but we all agree. We all agree. I think we can. We all agree because we all suffer. (laughs) We all suffer. So, you know, our job, oh, you know, I think one of the things you just brought in was a boundary, you know, but my daughter or my my child doesn't want to do that. A boundary actually isn't what your child is going to do. Otherwise, it's a request. The boundary is what you're going to do. And as the adult, you're the account holder to all internet things. Children legally can't have a phone or an internet account without you and nor can they attend extracurricular things without you. So I think a collaborative conversation about the life lesson of balance is the focus and to be able to explore opportunities of what their balance looks like for them and what you're willing to support and what you won't because it's not healthy. Yeah. And sometimes I do say to parents, you know, if if your child came up to you you know, it's quite an extreme example, mm. and said, ah, here, can you give me a, a needle of heroin? You'd say no. Mm-hmm. It's just not negotiable. And yeah. so if you anchor your boundaries in a value which mm. is really founded in what you believe is healthy, then you're not going to engage in a power struggle. You'll have a discussion, but at the end of the day, the boundary will be what you're going to do which is either access to an iPad and especially for children, preschool children or five-year-olds, yeah. you were talking, Mim, about your five-year-old and it's hard when you've got older siblings. I've got that dynamic. I've got a five-year-old and a 13-year-old. Didn't yeah. have the same. I didn't have the problem with my 13-year-old because she didn't have older siblings that have electronics. Yeah. Um, but I really look at that age and go, at the end of the day, it's access and I can turn anything off. I can actually get rid of it and say it's broken or I can limit. I've changed my passcode. Yeah. Look, I yeah. think yeah. I, I, when I talk about technology, if you're happy to move on to that bit. Yeah, mm, yeah, sure. Yes, definitely. Again, again, it's a life lesson. It's, it's establishing what's healthy and what's unhealthy. It's establishing healthy use of technology rather than how do I ban, restrict. So it's, it's, it's about what's healthy and how the brain grows because technology has the most amazing opportunities that our children will need to, to know and ha- uh, harness. But I also like them to experience, especially if they're like thir- uh, 13, there's this feeling in your body that you get with the dopamine and serotonin, especially with the dopamine hit, with swiping and social media and likes and all of those things that is addictive. And so I sat with my 13-year-old in bed and I was on Marketplace and she was doing this square game, whatever it was. And after about 20 minutes, I said, can you feel like there's an urge just to do one more? And and she said, yeah. And she was talking about what it kind of felt like in her brain. I said, ooh, that's the hormonal change that technology is creating in your brain and it feels addictive doesn't it 
Mm. And so it was a really lovely experience for her. And I said, so we've got to be really careful that we've got good boundaries with ourselves, with technology, so we don't get addicted and waste hours and then change the chemistry of our brain. So some of the research looking at phones being used in adolescents and, and the 20-year-old population that are often on their phones between 10 and 2, when it changes the melatonin and dopamine levels and serotonin and all the things that happens with sleep because that's the one of the things with technology if it interrupts sleep cycle mm. and the blue light. So I think I really want parents to get a lot of information about what's happening chemically in the brain when it's used, how much it's used, and formulate what your boundaries are of usage on that so you can really anchor yourself in, the, in, that, in that solid um, value. So I can quite happily say, no, phones aren't used after X amount of time because it interrupts your sleep and there's just that's my job. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, with my seven-year-old it's easy because I'll say, Yep, look, if you go on a laptop, you can do a PowerPoint presentation because they do that at school and yeah. he loves to do that and I think it's cute. And I say, you know, set a timer for 30 minutes and that's what you can do after your homework mm-hmm. and he does that and he participates in yeah. his own restriction. Whereas with a four-year-old, she'll steal my phone and try to get on YouTube and watch mm-hmm. some slime lady that she loves and, you know, I don't know what she's doing. She's hiding with the phone. Yeah. That makes me really uncomfortable. So I and YouTube as well, Mema. We've actually yeah, YouTube. Yeah. We've actually decided to take it off because you can type things in and suddenly you've got porn popping up. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Well she yeah, I know. My kids are like all you have to do is put in cute pussies and suddenly you've got these vaginas everywhere. Yeah. So that was a personal experience with porn. With grandma's iPad. Oh no, that's let's, those let's look up cute videos of pussy cats, cute pussy. kittens. Oh <laughs> god, yeah, she loves kittens. <laughs> there's, there's women, women washing washing cars in bikinis with kittens. Yes. Oh yeah, that's the strip joint <laughs> in, in Melbourne. Yeah. <laughs> oh god. Um, yeah, mummy, no. I, I know what I want to be when I grow up. Dear lord. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, I think access, we need to be, I, I think you can set yourself up for success in regards to it simply just not being available. But also I, I do, you know, for primary school children and some sort of five, four or five-year-olds, you can put a timer on. One thing that I used to do, and this is going back to the 90s, I sound terribly old. This is when, you know, everyone was worried about computer games and Nintendo and stuff mm-hmm. like that, was I would say to the kids, and I'll do this with my five-year-old son, I said, when the timer goes off, go and have a look in the mirror at your cheeks and your ears because they'll be a little bit red and that means you're cooked. You've had too much technology because it's, it's, you know, all the electricity. And so he he runs and looks at himself and he does. It's literally within 20 to 40 minutes you get red cheeks and your ears go red on the tips. And especially for little kids that have difficulty with timers, being able to see how it affects their body. They go, oh, I've mm. cooked now, Mum, and he turns it off. All right, cute. put on your doll. So cute. <laughs> so cute. Oh, my, my five-year-old's addicted to the iPad and it's a constant battle. I have fights with him 
mm. every single day about it. I take it off him. I hide it. I do all that. But then also I notice when he's on the iPad, he'll come off it and he's just in a terrible mood. And he's a yeah, he's so there's a, a beautiful opportunity. There's a beautiful mm. opportunity for you, Jess, to have a look at it and discuss it. And do you notice how you feel afterwards? And you might have all different pictures or just, you know, and I did this actually with my son. So if you notice, how do you feel after you've been playing whatever it is? And he goes, oh, and do it in the moment so you can kind of feel it. And so I said, so that's why we only have a little bit because it affects our mood. And mm-hmm. it affects our body. Yeah. The other thing also is, especially with a five-year-old and, and very little people, even sort of under five years, out of sight, out of mind, I mm. certainly have contemplated not having one, not having yeah. an iPad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just we don't have one. And we've actually taken YouTube off phones <coughs> and off the TV because I was horrified because they're that quick. There's my four and a half-year-old knowing how to turn the TV on, getting into Netflix or getting, sorry, getting into that thing where you choose everything and getting into YouTube and Pennywise is on there. Oh, yeah, that my kids have done that. Movie. Mm-hmm. The rap, yeah. I just, oh, it's broken. We don't have it anymore. They stopped it. Yeah. So I think there's, there's certain ages where you literally are able to remove something and that it's not available to them because they're too young. They can't understand. They're not supposed to. Yeah. They, they're not supposed to regulate. They don't have the neurological capacity to have those boundaries. You can start planting seeds and like with my five-and-a-half-year-old now, he's a bit like, oh, I'm cooked, Mum, I'm done. But I, I think we need to think carefully, especially with little pops. We, we expect them to be okay with rules and they're not supposed to. Okay, it's good to and know. And I even said, I completely understand. I completely understand how you, you you want more and that's okay. So reflecting back to them, whether they're disappointed, sad, angry, yep, I would be too. Mm. And if you can mirror back to them two or three times in their own words of what they feel, then they feel heard and often then they just skip off and do something else. It's yeah. It's that power game. Grounding a child when they've got really big emotions is useful or giving them a really icy cold drink helps create water in the mouth and to cool the anxiety down from a, a vagal perspective, the vagal nerve here. Yeah, yeah. And after, yeah. So that, look, there's, oh, we can maybe, you know, talk about another time is some of the physiological things you can do with your children to help ground them and then give them some space. We had a beautiful space at, at home which was all like a whole lot of cushions and this is when they were quite little and it was just called a thinking corner, just a thinking corner. You might need some special time just having a think about what you might want to do next, sweetheart. Yeah. I'm just over idea. here paying the washing yeah. up. Yeah, big emotions. Mm. And when they're, when they're calm, you talk about, you know what, when we've got really big emotions, there's sometimes we just need time to think so we can figure out what to do with them all. And so you set them up to not be punished, but you're helping them how to be a regulated human being because that's our mm. job. And we then we go back to that framework of how we look at children's behaviour. There's a need not being met or they need an opportunity to learn something really important in life. And so, Lou, speaking of, you know, not punishing them, what happens when one child hits another? Because my four-year-old will often punch my seven-year-old 
and he's really quite gentle and he, you know, he just doesn't hit her back. And I will sometimes, I get really annoyed. I'm like, just whack her back. She needs to understand the consequences of her actions. And then my husband says, don't do that. And he's all kumbaya. And anyway, can you just it's quite, help it's us quite a big topic this? and we'll see how we go. <laughs> I think there's a, there's a primal component that's a big debate with, with boys, isn't there? Of you know, there's a primal don't hit girls thing that goes on, especially. Well, well, yeah, it's the girl. So that's there's, hit. there's primal urges of you know, obviously wanting to make sure that people don't violate our space. But look, at the end of the day, it's not okay to violate somebody's physical safety. Mm-hmm. So you'd, you'd you'd have a serious conversation when everybody's calm. We'd also be talking to, she's still four, is there's a couple of things I'd be doing in the background, is talking about what was the feeling before then it was probably anger or injustice. So how can we use our anger to improve the situation rather than not? I mean, the first thing is obviously you've got to create safety and your attention goes to the person who's been hit, not the person who's the hitter. Mm-hmm. And that at a quieter time, you would talk about what was behind that. How else could she use that emotion? If we're talking about also toddlers, there's a stage and phase where they bite and hit all the time. And in the background, what I would be doing rather than no hitting, you know, (laughs) is working with gentleness and attachment and how to communicate what we want. So there's a whole background that I'd probably like to understand And probably you might want to understand with what's happening for your daughter why it always escalates to that because it's really important Mm. for her to learn how to get what she wants or communicate what she wants without violating somebody else's physical safety. And Mm. that's that's the life lesson, isn't it? Because it won't work work at school, it won't work at life. (laughs) We just pray she doesn't end up in prison, that's all. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> there's some developmental stuff too you know if she's just four as well somebody exactly. takes something that you've got and you're really annoyed with it well I, I suppose what I'm saying is we all go through developmental stages of experimenting with getting what we want and hitting is one of them and it's our job to help them find other ways and to understand themselves speaking yeah. of so um, I take it probably from all that on. Mm. Yeah. Speaking of smacking, like I know it's such a taboo subject at the moment. I was rarely smacked as a child, but when I was, I it de- I never did what I was doing ever again. What are the rules and guidelines these days? Because apparently smacking is like illegal. Like it's you shouldn't smack your children anymore. What is another way of punishing <laughs> a child? Without- it's news to us, Lou. To us, yeah, and I feel like I'm I kind of I've turned out okay. So, what are the rules around? I think there's I'm going to be treading on careful ground, you know. Are we talking about physical violence or are are you talking about don't stop laughing? Are you getting a slight pinch (laughs) under the arm in at the shopping mall? At the end of the day, what happens is. When we use our physical power over somebody more vulnerable to get what we want or to get to compliance, it never has a longevity because at some point it will build resentment. I do like to actually think about that as an adult, if another adult did that to me, what would I feel and how would I respond to that? I do what and men what did. what would be the repercussions? 
snuck back. <laughs> Whack him back. Yeah. <laughs> what men tell Oscar. And how's that going to work? It, it doesn't. It We're doesn't. supporting violence. <laughs> No, it's more Drinking my coffee, just whack them back. <laughs> reflex, reflex. No, no, of course not. So no, obviously smacking's not. You, no. It's not socially accepted to smack. Like I think there we, are more effective ways. Look, there's obviously a line in the sand that it's 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 physical violence. I don't think scaring children and using our power is ever a long-standing. It, it kind of goes against the whole point of what we're trying to do. It, yeah. it shows that when people don't do what we want, we can get violent or we can lose our cool. And that doesn't help you as a functioning adult. It's not going to work for you in business. It's not going to work for you in marriages. It's not going to work for you in relationships. Yeah. And so there's the bigger picture of what do I actually want my child to learn? And punishment, I don't think, as a form that is used regularly has any power whatsoever you lose it and it creates fractures and wounding so consequences you know we want children to learn that if you treat people in a particular way they'll probably respond in a particular way and Mm. what do we want our children to learn I keep coming back to that what is my job my job is to help them to learn to be a functional human being my job is to put boundaries in And a beautiful way of looking at boundaries is they're the walls and the ceiling of the house that they live under. And so they need to be solid. If they keep moving, your children are going to challenge them more. So I certainly know through a particularly tired phase of my life when my son had colic and and reflux, my boundaries weren't great and so, boy, were they challenged all the time Mm. because... The safety of a wall, if you imagine you're in a, in, a, in a house where you push against a wall and the wall moves, wouldn't you keep pushing until it stopped? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's what children do. They keep pushing a boundary until you stop because that's where the safety is. I know mm-hmm. where the walls and the roof of the home in which I live emotionally is. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I will keep pushing them. Thank you so much for your time. You've you've made us love boredom and our uncomfortable feelings and now we just absolutely love you. So <laughs> Lou Johnson from Full Thought Psychology. So I will definitely be making an appointment, I think, with my for my violent daughter. <laughs> I'm sure that and myself <laughs> probably as well. Yeah, and I'm thank really you very much. My emotions. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me and I, I think it's really beautiful to keep parenting real, keeping it real rather than complicated. <laughs>